Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Big stories. Big guests. The Big Picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Over the last couple of years, as you're well aware, we've had an issue with uh, individuals coming across the border from the U.S. into Canada to claim asylum here. Now, these are people who are not coming through authorized border crossings. Uh, some are coming through some treacherous terrain. Some of the stories we heard about uh, in Manitoba. Of course, we got a situation in Quebec at Roxham Road where not treacherous at all. They're just basically walking across the border and making an asylum claim. Now, it's entirely possible that many of those uh, are going to be rejected, and already some have. But there is a process involved. When someone uh, is on Canadian soil and claims asylum, you need to review that claim. That takes time and that takes resources. So how do we deal with this situation? We have a safe third country agreement between Canada and the U.S. where we recognize the other as a safe country for people who are fleeing from, say, a dangerous country. That if someone's in the U.S., they can make an asylum claim there. Someone's in Canada, they can make one here. But you don't get to make one in both. Or for that matter, you don't get to cut across one in order to get to the other. Now, this is a deal that works out very well for Canada. It's a lot easier to get to the United States than it is to get to Canada. And the U.S. would have a vested interest in, in not having this and letting, you know, some of this become Canada's problem. But can this agreement be changed? Can we get a handle on the situation? It certainly appears as though the federal government now intends to try to get a handle on the situation. And apparently that has involved reaching out to the U.S. to see if this deal, this agreement can be renegotiated. There's a new paper out today from the School of Public Policy of the University of Calgary looking at ways in which maybe we could try to address the issue. Joining us to talk more about it is Robert Falconer, is a research associate at the School of Public Policy, policyschool.ca. Robert, thank you for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Happy to be on the show, Rob. All right, well, give us kind of an overview. What is it that the Safe Third Country Agreement spells out in terms of how this is supposed to work for asylum seekers? So the way the current agreement works out is that if somebody arrives in either the U.S. or Canada first, and they try to make an asylum claim at the other country's port of entry, they'll be returned to the original country. So, for example, if somebody arrives in the United States, as has been the case, and they then cross, they try to make a claim at the Canadian port of entry, the Canadian border officials, with some exceptions, will return that person to the U.S. side so they can make their claim there. Um, the idea being that both countries are safe countries that respect rule of law and due process, and that either one should be the first priority of, a, of an asylum seeker to make their claim there if they arrive in that country first. Now, the agreement only applies at Canadian port of entry, so what we have been seeing is we haven't seen people cross over um, through illegal, some people call it illegal, some people call it irregular, mm-hmm. means of crossing the border onto the Canadian side where they will then make what's considered an inland claim at the, uh, at the Canadian side of the border after being intercepted by the RCMP. Right. So, I mean, the, the other side of it, though, is I guess our, our law, as I understand it, then if somebody is on Canadian soil... They, they are entitled to make an asylum claim. Is that the case? 
They are, yes. There's this thing called the Singh decision. Uh, it was in 1985 a decision by the Supreme Court which entitles asylum seekers on Canadian soil to due process uh, when they make their asylum claim. So we, we seem to have you know, come kind of you know competing objectives here. We have the intent of the safe third country agreement and the reality of, well, people are on Canadian soil. This is what they're entitled to. So how do we reconcile that? Well, there's a number of ways. Um, one is to challenge, I guess, the status quo, and that's uh, what appears to be what the Canadian government is doing, where they are seeking to renegotiate this agreement with the United States. That does run the risk of legal challenges, and in fact, there are current legal challenges on regards to the United States uh, status as a safe country and the safe third country agreement. Um, there are other proposals, and we actually do outline these in the paper, which is we need to focus less on renegotiating this agreement and creating legal barriers, a legal wall, if you will, and focusing on better processing of asylum seekers within Canada. Right. If we could speed that process up, that, that would probably go a long way. Exactly. And what we actually have seen is, you know, there was this big spike back in 2017 of asylum seekers crossing the border. And what's interesting is that actually has tapered off quite a bit. Um, you know, you look at August 2017, when there was approximately 4,000 people who crossed the, the Canadian border during that time period. This past February was only 808. At the same time, the total number of asylum claims that keep coming into Canada um, through more regular means of entry, uh, those have remained relatively high and relatively constant. And so if we focus our efforts less on the border, more on processing those who are here, mm -hmm. that has the benefit of, of saving the province's money, saving the federal government money. The other additional benefit is that people who maybe don't have the best basis of a claim, maybe they just really do want to take advantage of Canadian social assistance, Canadian health care, they'll be less inclined to make the claim in the first place if they know they're going to get a relatively quick no within, within a few months period. At the same time, it leaves the door open for those who really may have an, uh, a valid claim for fear in their home country. What about the argument, though, that maybe we shouldn't have a safe third country agreement, that maybe Canada and the U.S. don't always see eye to eye on what constitutes a, a refugee or somebody in need of asylum? The U.S. might be prepared to deport somebody to a country that, that we're not prepared to deport to, for example. There, that is an argument. I believe that's the position of the federal NDP is that we withdraw from the safe third country agreement. Uh, I think there is um, political considerations we need to take with that. Um, we need to consider the ramifications if suddenly we designate the United States an uns what's essentially an unsafe country for asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, we've recently been through negotiations with, negotiations with the United States and NAFTA. Um, we saw those turn quite ugly um, at certain parts before we eventually came to the current trade agreement. I'm not too sure Canada wants to go down the path of essentially designating the U.S. as, a, as an unsafe country. The other reality is that we, you know, this does have some effect at the border. You know, there is uh, a case where um, if they're still within the U.S. and they actually haven't crossed into Canada, there is that case there where we can moderate some of the influx into Canada and that we can share that agreement. Um, so there's trade-offs. Um, if we withdraw from the agreement, we also might face an increased number of, of asylum seekers traveling to the U.S. for the purpose of just then going to a Canadian port of entry to make an asylum claim there. And if we're prepared to do that, then, then maybe uh, we should withdraw. But I, I think that's a, a risk that Canada faces if we do withdraw from the agreement right and it, well yeah i mean the u.s might take it as a slap in the face if we we view them as an unsafe country at the same time it's an agreement that works very well for us uh that that it's obviously i mean geographic realities make it far more likely that the u.s is going to deal with the bulk of this issue much more so than canada is so certainly in our vested interest to maintain this deal less so for the americans i would think 
Agreed. And that's why I think there's um there's great risk with actually opening it. Again, you know, currently the U.S. is actually facing the highest number of uh, asylum seekers and apprehensions along their southwest border that they have in, in many years, since the early 2000s. And uh, with the current administration that has previously expressed, you know, a willingness to cancel agreements they view as unfavorable, I think Canada runs a, quite a significant risk if we decide to we want to go down this path of reopening negotiations of this treaty with the U.S. Well, if we're able to, I mean, it, it, could we have a situation where, you know, people who are walking across the border, at least doing so in full view of, of law enforcement and border officials, that rather than then process these people as asylum seekers, that we could simply physically take them to an authorized border crossing and then, and then turn them away? Is, is that doable? That would be, that's the goal, it appears, of the, of the federal government to renegotiate this agreement. Um, is it doable? I mean, it's possible. And we do actually in the paper show that there is a possibility that if we had had this sort of modified agreement that allowed us to do that in place since January, that the current asylum backlog would, would be much lower. At the same time, the, the stricter we, we make our border, the, I think the greater possibility we start to see things like human smuggling and that we might also uh, start to see the rise of, a, of an illegal immigrant population here within Canada, which is something that we haven't experienced to, to the great extent that the U.S. has before, currently and, and in previous years. Uh, you know, there is a benefit that right now they are crossing the border legally, but then they're immediately surrendering themselves to the RCMP for processing. Mm-hmm. And so there's that trade-off. Do we, do we want people um, coming into Canada, taking riskier approaches, and then trying to evade law enforcement, or do we want them to turn themselves into law enforcement and then process them a lot better than we're currently doing? Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, there's no way to pull It's a massive border, obviously. There's no way we can police the whole thing. Yeah, and again, currently they, currently they are... As you said, and actually this might be a benefit is if they're doing this in full view of, of law enforcement and then turning themselves into law enforcement, if we can then really achieve those quick turnarounds, which hasn't shown to be possible. There was a period where we had a, a not quite as large, but still quite large backlog back in the late, around 2009, 2010. Uh, the Canadian government brought in reforms to how we process, processed asylum, and we were able to blow through a lot more cases a lot faster. There is, and I guess, you know, the challenge is when we have people who are, are crossing in more remote areas uh, and show up and claim asylum. Is the onus on us to prove that they came across the border, to prove that they were in the United States? Because, you know, they they don't have to tell us how they got to Canada. They're on Canadian soil. That's that's all that matters. Yeah, that's the other issue as well. Um, If we just decide to uh, extend this agreement to be comprehensively include the whole border, um, I'm not convinced that the U.S. would necessarily... (laughs) recognize every case is coming from them. They say, well, you, we can't prove that this act, they actually came from the U.S. side of the border. Uh, this is actually something that was brought up in the original agreement. We're talking the early 2000s, where the U.S. said, well, we, we can't really extend this agreement to the whole border simply because we don't have our own people across the whole border. So we can't actually verify whether they came from the American side in the first place. Let's take a country like Honduras, and, and someone may have a legitimate claim if they're coming to Canada as a refugee. There's a big difference, though, between someone who's able to fly from Honduras directly to Canada versus someone makes their way via ground and has to pass through the United States. Even though they're both coming from the same situation, the way that they try to get here, we would view it differently. Exactly. We do. And uh, that, that's where, you know, we... If we can get um, processing times down to a lot shorter time period, like the the current waiting times, the last reported ones were about 22 months, give or take. Um, So that's almost two years of waiting here in Canada. If somebody really uh, does have not the best grounds for making a claim, 
Um, there, that's two years where they'll be receiving social assistance in Canada. That's two years they'll be receiving uh, Canadian health care. Um, that's two years where they'll be able to work, have their kids go to school. And so there's a strong incentive for somebody maybe, even if they know they're going to eventually get booted out, um, there's a strong incentive for them to make that crossing. Uh, shortening down time periods will not deter somebody who has a legitimate fear from Honduras from coming over to, the, coming over to claim asylum because their main concern is getting protection from the Canadian government. So, in fact, a, a three-month to six-month turnaround where they get their uh, a yes or a no very quickly is actually to their benefit, mm-hmm. whereas the person who really doesn't, like you said, they might have uh, quite large financial needs. Maybe they are not so persecuted in their home country. They're not going to bother trying to make that claim. As, as They're not like, as likely to do that if they they know they're going to get a quick no. So in terms of where we're at, I mean, it seems as though now the government is is more willing to try to address this. They've, they've, you know, kind of, I think, avoided up until now really trying to tackle this problem. So between a, a willingness to address it and, and some of the options we have on the table that you've outlined, I mean, is there some, some basis for optimism that we can get a handle on this? There is, actually. Um, and this will be published in an upcoming paper. But actually, in January, the federal government introduced a means to triage and stream asylum cases by complexity. So the idea is that if you have a relatively simple case, let's say you are a gay individual from Iran, and you have evidence to support that, you'll be streamed into a less complex case stream, where you'll get your hearing a lot faster. Likewise, if you know you're a wealthy individual from a country where you know, you're not from a persecuted majority, you'll also be placed in this implied case stream because it's a lot, quite likely we'll be able to give you a quick no. Um, whereas, you know, more complex cases are put into their own separate stream. Uh, the, the optimistic part is that as we've looked, as since they've implemented these, these changes in January, we've actually seen the number of cases being finalized, uh, increase quite rapidly. You know, there was a low, to use an example, in December, they processed only about 2,400 asylum claims. This past March, they processed 4,400 asylum claims. So that's almost quite double the what they were doing before. Um, and we are actually starting to see a decrease in the backlog of those waiting to hear their cases heard. And uh, the quicker we can get those done, the quicker we can provide protection to those we need, who are in need, and the quicker we can remove those who have dubious uh, or unfounded grounds for their claim. Yeah. Well, and it's another reason, right, why we want to address this, because for people who have legitimate claims to be bogged down in all of these delays, that, that doesn't really benefit anybody. Exactly. They're, they spend two years, if not more, waiting to, to start their life new in Canada. All right. Well, people can read this paper for themselves, policyschool.ca. Robert, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. He's well. All right. Robert Falconer, he is a research associate of the School of Public Policy, author of this paper, Ping Pong Asylum. It's called Renegotiating the Safe Third Country Agreement, policyschool.ca. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.